All right, take your Bibles, turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. The title of this morning's message is The Making of an Idol. An idol can be an image or a representation of something that becomes an object of worship. But it can also uh, be anything that we set our affections on or that we begin to trust in um, to a, a, a sinful attachment. Uh, we put our, our trust in it. In, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, this is the very last verse of the first letter uh, that the uh, apostle there, John, writes and First John is kind of written like um, like a father to to his children, and the very last verse of this, uh, he says, "Little children, keep yourselves from idols." Um, he says, "Hey, children, as you uh, live in this world and as we go through this world." Uh, be cautious, be careful uh, to keep yourselves from idols. Now we understand that God, the Lord, has always uh, warned us against idols and the, and the danger of it, even in, even in the Ten Commandments. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. He says this in that verse, For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And you say, what do you, that's strange that he says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Well, if you, in the context here, God had just delivered his people out of bondage, out of Egypt. He just, he just saved them corporately, in a sense, and brought them out. And he had showed them his strength and his power and his working in their life. And he says, and I do not want you to set up any other God uh, before me or worship any other God. I am your God. And as we look at the, the picture of, of Christ in the church and how they have come together as, as a, a bride and groom, the church is the bride of Christ, he is jealous over us in his love toward us. So that's a good thing. But he is saying, hey, I don't want you to have any other gods. Or in another way of saying this, I don't want your affection to be toward anyone or anything greater than me. Or I don't want your trust to be in anything greater than me. And this is where it starts coming down to hit home for us, is what we trust in, and what we believe is going to be our Savior, in a sense. Now, idolatry is the worship of any type of idol or image, or an excessive attachment. Um, it's, it's having respect or, or belief in something greater than our God. It would be idolatry. Now, idolatry throughout history has taken different forms, or many different forms. Today, right now, in Western culture or in the, in the United States, 
It is very different. Idolatry is very different than what it is even right now in Eastern cultures, right? We can understand that. That, that it's, it's, um, it, here we, we uh, worship or we trust in uh, things that we can uh, see, such as you know, education or, or uh, uh, the medical field or systems and, and man's programs and uh, our own self. Where maybe uh, in, in other cultures they actually uh, worship wooden statues or marble statues. And that's certainly what it was uh, thousands of years ago, right? That was, the, that was the type of idol worship it was. But here's the point. All of these type of idols that we set up, they all have the same source. They all come from the same root place is, is that uh, there's something behind it trying to take our belief and our trust in God away. And they all ultimately leave, lead to the same uh, destructive and damaging effects on our lives. These false gods that we set up, whether it be money or power or a financial system or a, or a, a little idol or a big idol, <laughs> they're false gods and, and ultimately they are false security. Because our security is in the Lord. Hey, there's nothing wrong with wood, right? There's nothing wrong with marbles. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with education until we start looking to it to be our, our security. This is, our, this is what we're trusting in. Hey, I had a good education, therefore I believe I'm going to have a good life. Or, or because of my family, I therefore believe that things are going to work out okay for me. Or because of who I am, or I'm a hard worker, or anything that we trust in. I, 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 in Amer- I was born in America, and, and I have freedom to, to do these sort of things, so therefore I'm going to be okay. No, we don't trust in those things. We trust in God and in the Lord. We don't set these things up. To trust in anything uh, but the Lord is, is ultimately going to let us down. You know? Even, even an atheist, uh, they trust in nothing. If you think about it, they are trusting that there isn't a God. It, it must be in their mind, uh, it must be that in their mind they believe that it is in their best interest that there isn't a God. Therefore, they have no one to be accountable to for their sin. Because even, I know this, that every individual has a conscience and realizes, hey, I have sinned before God, and therefore, if there is a God, then I am responsible for that and to that. Exodus chapter 32, there's different examples of different reasons and ways that people have set up idols in their lives. But in Exodus chapter 32, this is a familiar story to all of you. The nation of Israel has come out of Egypt by God's powerful hand. And and Moses is, is going up into the Mount Sinai to uh, get the tablets of stone uh, written by God, uh, the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 32 and verse 1, the Bible says, 
And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, now this wasn't a long time, but it was longer than they assumed. Uh, Come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wrought not what has become of him. And so Aaron has them all gather their uh, earrings, their jewelry together. And Aaron takes this jewelry and it shapes and forms a calf, a golden calf. And, and then they begin to uh, <laughs> praise this calf that had just been made by their jewelry and saying that this calf, look at verse, where is it? Verse 8. Verse 8, and they turned, turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. This is God talking to Moses. And they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. How, how absurd is this? They just, they just saw God's mighty hand bring them out of Egypt And then they took the jewelry, gave it to Aaron. He forms this calf right then and there. And then they start saying, hey, this is the calf that brought us up out of Egypt. But you say, well, that's that's absurd. We would never do that. But I, I, I dare say that we do that now, that we... God has blessed us. God has blessed us in this country. God has blessed us as individuals. And before long, we start, we start ascribing our blessing to the blessings. Amen. We start looking at the things that, hey, uh, God's blessed us with great military and great education and great medical things. And we, we start looking at these things and saying, hey, this is what I trust in. I believe my health is going to be okay because we have such great hospitals. And I, I believe that my children have a great shot at a career and and freedom because we have such great education. And before long, we start saying, hey, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be all right because of these things that we have. Instead of saying, hey, my trust is in the Lord and in God alone. He's the one that delivered us, and he's the one that's going to continue to deliver us and continue to take us through. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah with me. Isaiah chapter 44. Now, this is an interesting passage. You should take time to read through the whole thing at some point. But in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. I like this. And beside me there is no God. I mean, besides God, besides the Creator, besides Him, there is no God. He is it. He is the one and only true God. And then he begins to talk, verse, verse 10. He says, Who hath formed a God, small g, or, or molten a graven image that is profitable for, look at this, nothing. I mean, you know, these things that we set up, these idols, these things that we trust in, they're profitable for nothing without God. They are. He goes into the spiel in verse uh, 12, how a smith, uh, they'll, they'll take tongs and, and hammers and with, with his own human strength, he'll beat out an image or, 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 or a, an idol or a carpenter. He'll take and he'll measure. Could you imagine? There's a person that measures the exact height of one of these gods. 
and then whittles the exact form to one of these gods that someone will eventually pray to or worship or trust in. He says this, this, this carpenter or this, this uh, uh, person working on these, these idols, they're just human. And they, and, and they have more intelligence, obviously, than the God that they're creating. The, 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 the idol that they're creating. He says in verse, in verse, verse 14, He heweth him down cedars, and taketh cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and breaketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it and maketh it into a graven image and falleth down before it. He burneth part of it in the fire and part thereof he eateth flesh and roasteth roast and, sat, and, and is satisfied, yea, and warmeth himself and saith, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god. He, he takes, takes, tells a story of, hey, hey god, grows, god grows a tree out in the forest. And, and supplies this tree with rain. But then they take and cut down the tree. And with part of the tree, they, they cut it up and they warm themselves, which would be kind of nice this morning. But <laughs> they take the tree and warm themselves with it, right? And then they cook their dinner with it. And then with part of the tree, they make an idol with it. You know, it would have been a whole lot more profitable just to burn the whole tree for warmth or to cook your food because... You, what if you burnt the wrong part of the tree? You know, what if you used what if you used the God part of the tree to I'm just being crazy here, but that's how crazy it is. That's how crazy it is to think that we can form our own God. Amen. But yet we do that in this culture. We form our own gods. And that is what we trust in. That is what we begin to say, hey, I feel secure because I've got enough. Money. I feel secure because I've got enough health. I feel secure because of the political system that we have. Instead of saying my security, yeah, that's a joke too. <laughs> Nobody feels secure about that right now. <laughs> but 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 our security is in the Lord. Our security is in God as believers. But there's different reasons and different ways. Take your Bibles and turn to Numbers. Chapter 21. Actually, I'll read Numbers 21. You turn to 2 Kings 18. The context here in Numbers uh, 21 is the nation of Israel had these, they'd been complaining against God, which was typical, and, they, and, they, and, they, and, and, and these fiery serpents come in and start to bite them, right? And God tells Moses, he says, hey, these people, these, they're, they're getting bitten and this is, is poisonous. He says, make you a, a, a serpent made of brass, right? And put this serpent on a pole. And, and, when, and when you hold up this serpent and have people come and look to it, they are healed. And there's a great picture there in that brass is a picture of judgment. And, of course, Jesus Christ, he hung upon the tree and as sinners, which is a picture of being bitten by the serpent, sin. And they, they turn and look to Christ. What do we find? We find forgiveness. We find healing. We find life. This was a wonderful thing that happened uh, in, in, in the nation of Israel at this time that they had this, this uh, uh, brazen serpent to be able to look at, to be able to be healed. Fast forward 750 years. And the nation of Israel... 
had gone through apostasy. They had gone through a time where they turned away from God to all kinds of other gods. And then they get a king. Um, a king in Second in, in, in Kings chapter 18. And he, uh, a revival begins to break out uh, in the nation of Israel. And while the revival is breaking out under Hezekiah, he begins to, to remove, read with me, you're in 2 Kings chapter 18, read with me in verse 4. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For under those days the children of Israel had burnt incense to it and called it Nashtan. So here we have we have a, a brazen serpent that Moses made that was used by God, right? To, to bring healing to the people. But then 700 years later, what are the people doing to it? They're burning incense to it. In a, in a sense, they have set up this object, this piece of brass. It had sentimental value. Would you agree that this thing had sentimental value? Absolutely. It would have been neat to see. It would have been great to have around. But, but to pray to it was, was crazy. And you know what I see? I see that today in our culture. I see that we have set sentimental things up, traditions up. Listen, there is no doubt in my mind that God uses, that God uses men. That God uses ladies in our lives to, to help us. God uses preaching. God uses teaching. God uses a church, right? He absolutely does. But then for us to take what God has used one time or multiple times in our lives and then begin to, to turn to that for our, for our worship or our praise. No, God can use something one time, uh, but our, every time we, we uh, need to worship something, every time we need to pray, it shouldn't be to just tradition. It shouldn't be just to sentimental things but it should be to the one true God, the God that healed them ultimately, right? Instead of this brazen serpent, instead of this thing that God had used. Hey, God uses doctors, does he not, in our lives? But, what, but when we get sick, I think the first place we ought to go is to the Lord, trusting in him, and then see how he directs us. When we, when we are in financial trouble, hey, this is my point. In our lives, God uses experts and God uses people in our lives. But in any trouble or any trouble that we get into, let me ask you this question. Who is the first person or the first thing you run to? That's my point. The first person that we should run to is God. And in joyous occasions, when blessing comes, who do we, who do we say the blessings come from? We say the blessings come from our hard work and great decisions. Or do we say that the, the blessing comes from the God that gave us the wisdom to work, the God that gave us the ability to work? So many times as humans, I don't know why, but it is absolutely natural for us to become a little bit sentimental, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, or, but a little bit traditional, and, and there's place for that. But where we begin to say, hey, my trust is in the church. Uh, no, our, the church's trust is in God. Uh, we cannot get where we, where we begin to say a building is anything. 
Or, or, or God uses a building. Sure, God uses a church. Sure, but hey, our trust and our hope is in the Lord and He will never fail. He will never fail us. There's a, another, in, in 1, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12, turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, another uh, interesting thing about setting up idols and why people will do it. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. The context here is Solomon is is passed and the kingdom now has been divided uh, between his son Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam, Israel. And Judah, right? And Jeroboam, he he knows that the people have a need to worship. I think that's innate in, in all of us as, as humans that we have a need to worship, that we have a uh, inside we, that we, we want to worship something. And Jeroboam knew that. And he knew that if these people, the, the people that were going to be under him, began to worship where God had called them to worship back in Jerusalem, then ultimately he was going to lose his power. Ultimately he was going to lose his, uh, I hate to say this, but control over the people. And so he took a religious thing and he set it up for political power. And Verse 26, the Bible says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return unto the house of David. Why? Because eventually the people are going to want to go and they're going to want to worship. And they're going to want to go to the right right place to worship. He says, um, If the people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And he says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is so much for you to go up to Jerusalem. In other words, hey, hey, folks, it's so inconvenient to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship. Behold thy gods. He, he, just, like, just like before. He made these gods and then he said, Behold thy gods. We just made them. Then he says, now here they are. He says, behold thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So he puts one up in the nor- northern part of Israel and one in the southern part of Israel. And, 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 he, and you find here that he, he is doing all these things to help the people have convenience. Now, he had done all this and in his, he devised all this in his heart to be able to keep the people, to be able to control the people. He did all this for his own political gain and his own political power. But the people bought into it because it was convenient. Because it was convenient. And listen, when we set up gods in our lives, listen, our, our coming to church are getting close to the Lord and the Word of God, 
It's not that I, it's not that anyone's going to try and make it hard, but we don't worship God, the one true God, because of convenience. We don't worship Him because of comfort. We worship Him because He's the one true God. We worship Him because He's the only one that hears our prayers. He's the only one that has the power to forgive. He's the only one that has the power to deliver us. That's why we worship Him. He's the only one who can forgive our sins and give us eternal life. As Peter said, Thou hast the words of life. That's why we worship the one true God. Hey, uh, it's not about convenience. It's not about the easiest way to worship Him. It's not about that. It's about worshiping Him in, in spirit and in truth. And sometimes the truth is the most inconvenient way. I mean, we have it, we have it, comfortable, we have it comfortable here in America. We don't, we don't experience persecution like most of the church has throughout history. Um, and there's no reason to feel bad about that. We should feel blessed and thank God for it. But if it ever comes to a point where it becomes uh, uh, um, uncomfortable in this society to worship God, we should still worship God just as Daniel did. We should still worship God. We, as humans, we always seem to go, uh, we want a God that we can see, it seems. We want a God that is uh, almost able, uh, able to be controlled. That, but that is the opposite of faith, isn't it? But faith is not by sight. And, and, and take, take your Bibles and turn to Acts, New Testament here, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We don't worship Him because of convenience. <coughs> it's interesting how uh, politicians, they, they'll, they'll use, use religion, won't they? For their own for their own gain, for their own convenience, they'll they'll make policy that is anti Christ and anti God, but then use his name when it's convenient. Acts Acts chapter seventeen and verse sixteen. Paul arrives here at Athens, and he's he there's a he's waiting he's waiting. And uh, verse sixteen, and while Paul waited for them at Athens, look at this. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Paul enters into this city of Athens and he's waiting, waiting for uh, Timothy and uh, Silas to come. And as he's standing there, he sees everything. All these things are all, the whole city is centered around idol worship and idols. And, and deep down inside of him, it, it stirred Paul's spirit to where he, he couldn't help himself, but he began to speak up. Now, Athens is the, is the birthplace of, of uh, Socrates and Plato, and, and it was the adopted home of Aristotle. I mean, this was several hundred years before Paul. This place was the cradle of Western philosophy. This is where it started. The philosophy 
that was taught there and then is still taught in our universities today in, in America. And, and Paul comes in and he begins to preach in chapter 22. It says, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. And he goes, he begins to go and and tell them, hey, there is one, one true God that created not just the heavens and the earth, but created you. He said, look, I, I see your education. I see your, your philosophy. I see that you guys are, are well advanced. Uh, he says, but I, I see that you got it all wrong in the sense of uh, there is one God and, 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 and one creator, and you've missed it. He says, you're, you're trusting all the wrong things. One true God. One true Created. Today we've set up gods in our, in our society, in our life. We've set up religion. That, that can be a god, an idol, where we trust it, right? We set up self. Man, we've made ourselves the final authority. We, we trust ourselves. We've set up sex and sports and comfort and pleasure. We've certainly set up money as a god and power. You say, how, how do I know if I'm beginning to make an idol in my life? How do I know if I'm beginning to set up? I've already said, it's, it's when trouble comes, where do you turn? What's the first thing that you think is going to deliver you? What's the first thing you think that's going to help you out of this trouble? Or when even good times come? Who do you, is it just your good luck? Or do you make your own luck? Or what, how do these things happen? Or do you begin to see, hey, God has a part and plays a part in my life and begin to recognize him for it, trusting him. Who? Okay, as we look at the future of our own lives and we look at the future of our children's lives, what are we trusting in? What do we trust in to, to say, hey, there's got to be some truth? Is it, is it our, our retirement plan? Is it the, again, it, are we constantly thinking the thing that's going to make our children's life the best is the education that they get or the job that they get or the career that they get? All those things are good. And don't misunderstand me on those. But ultimately, it is God that we trust in. Amen. It is God. And without Him, I'm just saying... Without him, all the money in the world can't save us. That's the God's honest truth. All the education in the world can't save us. The best medical doctors in the world can't save us without God. Without him, without him, we are nothing. The best political systems, the greatest president, the greatest whatever, it can't save us without God. We have to say, ultimately, I trust in the Lord and him alone. He says in First John, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and, this is, and these are the little gods that we set up I, today. 
the lust of the flesh. Right? That's the, that's the sex. The lust of the eyes. All the things, you know, all the things that I can accumulate. Right? If I have, if I have this house, I have this car, I have all these things, then I am secure. Or, or then I'll be happy. That's not true, is it? That's not true. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Man, if I know more, if I build knowledge, if I have an education, if I have this, then, then I'll be secure. Then I'll have power. Then I'll... It's still, it's empty. He says, don't love those things, but love the world. He says, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In Psalms chapter 62, he says, Truly my soul waiteth upon, the, upon God, for him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. This is a psalm of David. I shall not be greatly moved. He says, how long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be and as a tottering fence. He says, listen, the most mighty men and the most mighty systems and all the things that we trust in, he says, they're just like a tottering wall, a fence that's just wobbly. He says, eventually it's going to fall. If our trust is not in God, then our trust is in a false God, a false security. David understood this. I believe that this is why David was a man after God's own heart is because God had his heart. Because he trusted in the Lord. He says, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. So he says, hey, I'm not expecting anything from anybody except God. He is my provider and my savior and my one and only true God. He says, trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, he said, set your heart not upon them. He says, hey, when riches come, if, if God, here's the danger, and I believe that this is where we're at in our country, is riches have increased. Riches have increased in, in our nation. And you know what? So many have set their heart on them. But our heart shouldn't be set on these things. Our heart should be set on the Lord. He said, um, God has spoken once, twice have I heard it. The power, power belongeth unto God. Also on thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. I have good news this morning. That there is a one true God. That he has the power to save. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to deliver us. Uh, he has the power to save us. He is the one true God. And he can be worshipped. He can be, he can be uh, praised. And that's what he wants. All these other false gods that come into our lives. They're, they're absurd that we trust them. They're passing. They're fleeting. It's easy for us in this culture, probably to look at a little idol and say it was crazy to pray to that. But then we may trust a system that a man has created. Mm-hmm. And we begin to trust in that. Our trust is not in those things. Our trust <laughs> is in the one true God. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, make Him your God today. <laughs> Ask Him. Ask Him to come into your heart. 
to save your soul. Set him up and say, God, I'm making you Lord of my life. I'm making you my one true God. I'm going to trust in you for my future, for my family, for everything. He is a God that will forgive sins and give eternal life. It is the greatest decision that anyone can make. As a Christian, let's examine your own life and say, hey, have I been trusting in something else? Do I have a false security? Have I been looking for something else to save or to deliver? When the, my, all of my attention and all of my affection should be on the one true God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm asking you, inviting you to pray a prayer like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin. God, I'm making you Lord of my life. I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for my sin, that you were buried, and that you rose again. God, I'm asking you to save me. I want you to come and live in my heart and be my God. I'm putting you before any other thing. I'm trusting in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.